Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. And amazingly, our song worked. First time in like two months, Seth and Sean Sports Radio. We're back here with uh, Jake over our right shoulder, um, sleeping soundly, thankfully, and maybe not for long if we keep this voice and volume up. So we'll slow it down a little bit. Um, welcome back to the show, Seth. From Seth's apartment, we are with Jake here. And, uh, are you Rio talking like Yoda for any particular reason? Rio. People know who joke who Jake is. Not joke. People people know who Jake is. And Yoakum Noah too. We can call him Yoakum. It's just a little. Uh, Carly's giving me a look. We can't call him Yoakum. Anyways, Asumar o Olímpicos, or Portuguese for the boys take on the Olympics. So for women who like Portuguese accents, please call Sean at seven six zero two eight three zero eight of four six. Wait. wait. Just Portuguese accents? I'll take any accent. Accents are awesome. People who speak Portuguese. Oh, I do not speak at all Portuguese with the the advent of Google Translate. I am able to speak a little bit of Portuguese at least today. Lots going on today. Rio 2016, obviously taking center stage this week and next week. And we'll go through a little bit of that. Remember... Uh, in two weeks' time, we will have our fantasy football preview followed by our college football preview. And then on Labor Day, we will have our pro NFL preview. Ichiro, A-Rod, Roger Goodell, Hall of Fame game last night. Which one would you like to start with? Let's start with the most positive of all of these, which is Ichiro. Gets his 3,000th hit last night, a triple off the uh, playing for Miami now. Um, he's obviously nowhere near his prime. But for someone who came into the majors at age 27, it is, it is incomprehensible to me that he reached the 3,000-hit barrier threshold, excuse me, and actually earlier this year passed Pete Rose in the most of all time, um, which Pete Rose obviously is, because this is how, how Pete is, is completely disregarding, disregarding, which you can call it as what it is. Ichiro, kind of an underrated player, not even kind of. He led the league in hitting up in seven times and hit seven times. Phenomenal gold glove outfielder. Where where does he fit? You're more of a baseball maven than me. Where does he fit on your Pantheano? Very good field. Okay, so let me let me correct you without without trying to correct you. He led the league in hit seven times. That's what I said. He he led the league in hitting only twice. Right, no, I changed it. I oh, okay. it only twice. So but he did look. He's one of only two players to win the Rookie of the Year and the MVP in the same year, and that was his first year, where he had a batting average at 350. He led the league with 242 hits. He had the most played appearances, most at-bats. Unbelievable season. The last All-Star game he had was in 2009. So, I mean, look, he has diminished his role. There's no question about it. But he's batting 317 this year. I mean – He's been nothing other than great 
this year in limited time. He has 65 hits and 232 plate appearances. He's never hit for power. His stolen bases obviously have gone down, but he has nine steals in 95 games, which is still one for every 10 games. Not bad for a 42-year-old player. He's not playing on. He's not playing every day. Absolutely, even more impressive. 235 at bats this year. 31 runs, 65 hits. He's exactly what you want a veteran to be. A guy that will show up every day. A guy that plays every day when he does. When he's in the lineup, and gives a good impression. His on-base percentage is 390 this year. The last time he had that, he was 33 years old, and that was over 10 years ago. So. Look, Ichiro is definitely the feel-good story of the year so far for the Major League Baseball. No question about it. Um, it would be great if he went out in the playoffs, but let's understand if he does go out in the playoffs, that will be to the detriment of my beloved Mets because there's no way both the Marlins and the Mets are making the playoffs. But, look, great story. You know, you said that he has the most hits of all time and that you, you know I'm, I'm a Pete Rose fan. Always have been, always will be. I'm not an apologist so much, but I am a fan of Pete Rose and the way that he played. Japanese baseball is not Major League Baseball. It's AAA baseball, if that. I think it's above that at this point. I think it's – look, I, I – Okay, okay maybe quadruple-A baseball? Okay. So you can't make the claim that he has the most – I understand. Look, he has more hits professionally in any league than right. anybody else. Totally on with you on that. So, anyway – so from one half of the spectrum to the other half. Well, before we get to that, where do you rank him? Forgetting on the all-time hits list, because I understand it's, it's, it's a debatable point, but most likely no one's really going to side with him over Pete Rose because the major leagues are the major leagues. But when you think of the great players of the last 15 years, his name really kind of falls. His name is really never one of the first few. I mean, you're giving a face. When you think of the top five to ten players in the last 15 years, is each row ever named? No. no. Well, but because he's, he's a, because remember, he's a singles hitter. He's always been a singles hitter. And I know the, the argument is if Ichiro wanted to hit home runs, he could hit home runs. I get it. He's hit home runs in double digits three times in his career. He's, had, he's never had more than 60 RBIs in a season. He's had 50 steals once. He's never really walked. He's only walked 50 times once in his career. Now, granted, he has 200 hits. So, I mean, that equals out when you talk about on-base percentage. And he's had a 40, 414 on-base percentage at one time at 386 and so on. But he's also had seasons where he was in the 335 on-base percentages and the 280 on-base percentages. And that, for a single hitter, is just not going to get it done, even in his prime, which you would consider, what, his first four seasons? Granted, yeah. he started at About 01 to 06, give or take. Okay, so let's let's talk all one to 06. A 38%, a 381 on base, 388, 352, 414, which is off the charts, 350, 370, 396, 361. All good Very numbers. Good. Very good numbers. But not Bonzi-esque. No. He's not those top five guys. He is, a, in my mind, a very, very good – he, he – Breaks the threshold of the Pantheon are very good. He is a I Hall of Fame player. And he's, a Hall, he's a Hall of Fame player even if he doesn't pick up 3,000. Absolutely. So, well, number one, he's the true first real Japanese player 
have overwhelming success in the majors and has handled himself with a, as a class act. I agree with you. No um, question. He, he's very much more of a Tony Gwynn player. Yes. Okay. Then he is a Tim Raines player. And I, and I bring that forth because again, we're talking about on base percentage versus batting average. And Tony Gwynn was always the batting average guy. And you know, my love for Tim Raines, Tim Raines had a better on base percentage than, than uh, Tony Gwynn. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm going to get them right now. But so on base percentage for Ichiro lifetime is 357. I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to go look this up, but I have to take a guess that Reigns is better than 357 Probably. all the time. And I'm going to, I, I got it right here. Baseball reference, definitely the best uh, database of baseball in period. Of course it was, 385. So, again, if you're going to measure Reigns against these guys, I put Reigns in the Hall of Fame. The one thing that Reigns does not have is an MVP. Ichiro is an MVP. Yeah, but also also Reigns had a pretty vast drug habit, which does not help him. And he was not loved by the media, which has not helped him. No. I do hope that in his last year of eligibility, which I believe is this year, in a is it a it's not a it's not a particularly strong is it a strong class this year coming in? No, you still got oh coming in. No, not particularly strong. Yeah, so this may be the year him and Bagwell. Oh, and, and, and you know my feelings on both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, and, I think that they I both deserve to be in. So let's talk about from the guys that are the feel-good stories to, you know, a guy that is definitely more feel-good than he would have been five years ago. And you said this on Facebook that A-Rod continually amazes you, and he's never been dull. And I definitely, if you asked me five years ago, would this have been – the way out for A-Rod, I would have said there's no chance because A-Rod was a public relations disaster five years ago. And the Yankees, to their credit, stood by their guy. Now, granted, they stood by their $27 million investment. But if I had told you five years ago that this was going to be A-Rod's departure, very quiet, very dignified, would you have said would you believe me on this one? No. It is amazing how much he does seem to have rebuilt his image in the last year and a half, you know, even handling his benching this year with, with Grace. Um, I guess the question is, now, Cashman said that if a team decides they want to bring him in, they have, he, has no issue. he has no issue. You know, he's a free agent for all intents and purposes. He's released. The advisory doesn't really start till next year, although supposedly, based on what I've read from people like Michael Young and other players, that he'll be very, very good in this role, that he's always been much very instructive to younger players. Um, however, he's, what, four home runs short of 700. If he decides to make that run, go to, you know, I don't know, a team looking for a publicity hit for a, for a month. Sorry, we have a dog barking. A baby crying. If this doesn't exude professionalism, if this doesn't exude professionalism, I don't know what does. Um, is all this goodwill kind of go for naught if he signs, let's say, the Devil Rays for three weeks to try and make a run at the 700? Absolutely, it's gone for naught. I mean, look, he said at the press conference, I'm done. He didn't say I retire. He never used those terms, but he was gracious in his exit. 
and basically said, I'm going to enjoy the special advisory position. And if he goes to, say, the Marlins or goes to the Devil Rays, which Devil Rays, the Rays, which I think are the only two teams that he'd probably go to because he, wants to, he probably will stay in Florida. I can't see him being part of the Atlanta Braves youth movement. And, well, he's only the ace at this point anyway. But if he goes to the Marlins, you know what? Somebody said this the other day, and I fully believe it. Nobody gave him a full year to become a first baseman, a full offseason. Do you really doubt that this guy – look, first base, while Mike Piazza couldn't make the transition, I would have to feel is one of those positions that is easy, more Easily easily transitioned to than others. than yeah. others. And he had great reflexes as a third baseman, as a shortstop. I think he can make the transition to first base if given a full offseason, at least for – at least for 80 to 100 games and be a pinch hitter. And if he does that, can he get four home runs in that time period? I got to think that this guy could. So could he be with Ichiro, the two oldest players in Major League Baseball on one of the youngest teams in Major League Baseball? It would certainly bring up the uh, average uh, age of the Marlins. <laughs> that is true. No, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought process. Um, did you, see the, did you see the press conference? I did not. Uh, I was in Newport. I didn't see the press conference. I heard all about it. I read about it. Did I really need another Alex Rodriguez press conference? I think that's basically what I thought of. I saw it on my ESPN alerts. Uh, the rumors were all of last week that he was going to either retire or be unceremoniously released. It seems like some combination of both. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the facts are that Hal Steinbrenner came up from from Florida and said, I don't want a uh, mockery of this process and I don't want my manager put out on a limb. And he coordinated this with A-Rod and it's the best of both worlds, right? I mean, A-Rod gets his money. The Yankees don't have a distraction for the rest of the year or even next year or going into spring training next year. At the end of the day, that's what they really need. They need this youth movement. At, when they decided at the trading deadline to get rid of Andrew Miller Araldis Chapman, et cetera, Carlos Beltran, they signaled the youth movement. No position that they need the youth movement more than DH because they can play McCann there and play Gary Sanchez, Gabby Sanchez at catcher. At catcher. Well, and speaking of the Yankees youth movement, one of the older old-timers, and as Sean knows, not one of my all-time favorites, uh, Mark Teixeira announced his retirement at the end of the year um, earlier this week. Class act. Um, but a guy who and a great fielder, but a guy who after his first year in New York, his, his average dropped drastically. I don't think he hit over 260 in any of his last five or six years in, in, in pinstripes. He was, never, he was a great fielder, probably the best fielding first baseman of this era, but not someone who I had a great deal of affinity for as a player, as Sean knows, and another 20 million you know, off, off the books going for a year. But are you faulting Seth? I know you didn't have a great affinity for him, but did you have, not have a great affinity because of the amount of money that he's earning? Because there's a big difference between... It's a little bit, it's admittedly a little bit of both. And I understand that's not what, I would happily take a 20, an eight-year, $160 million contract as well. I thought, he got in, I thought he got a pass more than most players did on the Yankees. For someone who never really, in my mind, you know, played to the potential of, 
played not played to the potential. That's not fair. But I never saw him as a great player. And you know, for a contract that he signed, that's the expectation. But that's an expectation in New York. That's not. It, look, you don't think twenty million dollars is an expectation on, on, anywhere? His first three years, okay, thirty nine and one twenty two, thirty three and one oh eight. And 39 and 111. What did he hit? He, wait, he had 103 runs in the first year, 113 that led the league in the second year, and 90 in the third year. Yeah, he hit 292 in the first year, 256 and 248. However, however, on base percentage, first year 383, very, very good. good, very good. Second year 365. Guess what? We just said Ichiro, right. who had the same. On base percentage had a great year with his 365, and then he dipped down to 341. Last year, Teixeira, 31 home runs, 79 RBIs, a 255 average, and a 357 on base yeah. percentage. So a good player, a good player on a great contract. Right. But that's what the Yankees do. That the, well, that, I don't. They have he, to. They have to overpay to get guys like that. And he was going to be offered that contract in Baltimore. And in Boston. I remember. In Boston and in New York. And so, you know what? He got it in New York. He won a gold glove three out of the last six years. He was in the top 20 in the MVP running. Four out of, uh, sorry, top 25. Four out of the last six years. He was in the MVP, the top 25. I don't know. How, which one did the MVP go 25 deep? But that shocks me. Yeah, well, the first three years he went number two. He actually finished second overall in the MVP in in 2009 when they won the World Series. Then in 2010 he was 19th, and in 2000 uh, sorry 2010 he was 19th, and 2011 he was 19th. I get what you're saying. He was overpaid, especially for the last three years. He was overpaid. He was, he was not a great playoff. I mean, he was not a great playoff hitter by any stretch. And he, Absolutely correct. And he always struck me kind of in the Nick Swisher and A-Rod to a lesser degree that he would hit the home run up 7-2 or down 7-2. That was, you know, a great fielder, solid citizen, good player, but, you know, not someone that I'm going to look back on really one way or the other going forward as a Yankee fan. Well, this is, this is the problem when you deal with guys at the back end of their careers because you're going to pay for stuff that happened in the past. Right. And that's what the Yankees tend to do, right? So for the first five years of his career, he played in Texas and he earned $22 million a year. And his war, which is wins above replacement, were 21.5. Now, wins above replacement includes both offense and defense. Okay, so I'm just giving you a little synopsis. So for $22 million, he got 21.5 wins above replacement, or almost $1 million per win above replacement. I know I'm getting a little technical here, but, but go with me here. For three years between Atlanta and L.A., he earned $12 million, so $4 million a year, and got a war of six. So that's $2 million per one win above replacement. And then you get to the Yankees' eight years an eight-year contract for $155 million. And he had a 20.9. So he had less than he did in the five years for Texas he had with the Yankees. So basically that was what? 
eight million dollars per one win. So he went. So it's a multiple of eight. So you're right. He got worse, but the fact is he got older, and the Yankees tended to pay for past performance. I understand that. And look, I can never begrudge somebody for taking the best contract available. Um, I just affinity that people seem to have for him. I just don't know. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's a bad player by any stretch. No. He's a solid. He's a solid player. He was not a great player in my mind by the time he came to the Yankees, and he wasn't a great playoff performer. He was a solid. He was a good, above average first baseman for most of his Yankee term. And if you are a Yankee fan, you will view Mark Teixeira in one way. He is the cautionary tale. He is the reason they did not re-sign Robinson Cano, in my opinion. They saw Mark Teixeira getting to 33, 34, and 35 on the back end of that career and earning 22 and a half, 22 and a half, and $23 million at those ages and saying, Robinson Cano signing a contract at 30. We're not going to give him an $8 million deal. Now, I believe Cano's a better player than Teixeira. I think he will be better as he gets older than Teixeira was. He won't break down as much. But there's the cautionary tale of not paying for past performance. And I think if, if you're looking for the Yankees to learn anything from the Mark Teixeira, CeCe Sabathia, or A-Rod, it's pay for past performance. And I think that they are learning that right now with this youth movement, which will last a couple of years. And Teixeira is going to play through the end of this, the year. He'll get his rightful due. He's never been a bad guy. No. He's always been a guy that panders to the media, always a nice guy. I believe he's from Baltimore. He is. He, yeah. always, he always wanted to play in Baltimore and never got that opportunity. But he's out. I mean, he's out. So congratulations to him on a great career. I mean, really, when you look at his career, and I know, Seth, you believe that he could have done more. I get it. He's got over 500 home runs in his career. Does he really? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 400 home runs. Okay. 404 home runs, 1,282 RBIs, an average of 269, a good career. Yeah. And you know what his stats look like? His stats look like one guy named Keith Hernandez, except it's inverted. Keith Hernandez has a much better batting average, a much, be- a much higher on-base percentage, a not much as lower many power. home runs. But it was also different. It's, an, it's a different era. No, people in the 80s were not hitting home runs that that. I'm agreeing with you. And both were incredibly good defenders. And that's, I think, if you saw the Mets-Yankees game a week ago, you realized Teixeira made one very, very bad defensive play. And the announcers, at least on SMY, Howie Rose and whatnot, were saying, Teixeira doesn't, Teixeira makes those plays. Like, that's very unusual. And I wonder if that play really said it to him that, you know what, it's time to hang him up. That on top of the fact that his contract runs out at the end of this year. So, 25 minutes on baseball. Well done. I'm very impressed with you so far. 25 minutes on baseball. Thank you. So, let's talk about the Hall of Fame game last night before we get to the real sports, which is Rio. Well, the thing that didn't occur. Okay. So... You do know why it didn't occur, right? Yeah, because the uh, – what do you call it? Because the field was a disaster. So that, t- that couples with Roger Goodell's 10th year anniversary, which happened which today. Seem, which seems to be quite prophetic, to say the least. Exactly. 
If you'd like to call in, 760-283-0846, 760-283-0846. We're going to go about 10 to 15 minutes on football and then the rest on the Olympics. So feel free to give us a call here on the Seth and Sean Sports Radio Show. So anyway, Hall of Fame game canceled. Not, but not canceled before the game, but canceled 10 minutes before the game, when supposedly they knew an hour or two before the game, which to me is another black eye on the NFL, a tremendous black eye in the NFL. And for Jim Irsay, who is the owner of the Colts, to say this is not the NFL's fault, but this is the Hall of Fame's fault, I don't know your thoughts on this. I think that this, that's just passing the buck. Of course it is. Well, when has Jim Irsay not been a guy who has passed the buck? Whenever? Well, he didn't pass the drugs. How do you know? He took some of it. He may have passed the rest of them on. Well, he got caught in the car with him. I remember. So, so you think but the whole thing was silly and a shame. You know, it's a shame that they sold, that they, that they sold concessions to it for a game that doesn't exist. It's just, I mean, admittedly, I've been watching the Olympics. I have, I, it's too early for me to be really paying attention to anything uh, football related other than, well, the people who got inducted and, you know, Tom Jackson, which is a shame leaving ESPN. But, you know, it, this kind of sums up Goodell's reign in a lot of ways. The opportunity to do something proactive. Okay, they canceled the game for player safety. You know what? That's great. You know, Sean, I mean, all things aside, I have no problem with that. Look what happened last year with Sean Sweezum, pretty much his career ending because the Hall of Fame game was played on a crappy field. I have no problem with that. But again, they could have done it two hours in advance. They did it 10 minutes in advance. They could have given away, you know, certain things. And people drove thousands of miles to see Green Bay and Indy because you have Marvin Harrison, you have Tony Dungy, you have Brett Favre. So people came a long way to go to Ohio to see this and to accumulate, to, to culminate, excuse me, there the weekend, you know, with watching, you know, again, a meaningless preseason game. But to be selling all sorts of concessions for the game when the game doesn't exist, doesn't happen, and to telling people late, and it's the, the opportunity to be proactive and just not being so, you know, to the full-fledged, to the way that it should be. Yeah, I think it goes even further, Seth, in the fact that, yes, they're refunding the tickets, the price of the tickets, but they're limiting it to the price of the tickets. There are people that came just for this game and incurred major expenses to come to this game. And I understand if this was an act of God, if this was a hurricane, if this was weather-related, I completely get that. If you lose power, I think people understand in the notion that this is a way that things are canceled and that events are canceled. But this was 100% within the control of the NFL or the Hall of Fame or however you want to put it. And Jim Irsay passing the buck to the Hall of Fame as opposed to the NFL, they're one and the same. I can't imagine anybody's buying the, oh, this is the Hall of Fame and not the NFL. If they wanted to do right, and I'm sure by the end of this, they will, because that's, this is kind of what happened with the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, where they sold seats that they didn't have, and there was a major lawsuit, and stuff was settled, and guess what? They paid a lot of money for it. I think you're going to see something along the lines of that. 
And when you get to that point, you have problems. And it, once again, it looks horrible, horrible for the NFL. And it, it's really a shame that it does look that way. No real, no real complaint, no real argument. Did you, I did not see any of the speeches. Uh, did you? I, I actually tuned into the uh, Brett Favre speech today. Is it, still looked, go, is it still going on? It was 34 minutes long. He thanked everybody. I think he thanked me somewhere in there. I don't think he thanked anything related to the Jets, though. I think that was the one thing he didn't thank, he didn't mention. I, I'm not, I, I wasn't really listening for that, but I think in those thanks, he said thank you to Seth and Sean for, for talking about me on the radio, <laughs> um, perhaps, because he thanked everybody else. It was, you know what, I kind of, it's their time, right? You're giving them the spotlight. I don't have a problem with the speech going 40, 45, 50, however long they want. There's no time constraint. So if you're not going to give them a time constraint, you can't be, you can't be angry that it takes that long. And it did. It took 35 minutes. He was emotional. And it was great. I, I really enjoyed watching him speak. Uh, tomorrow during the day, while I'm doing other work, I'll listen to the other guys. I'm sure Marvin Harrison was probably two and a half minutes long. No, supposedly he went for 13 minutes. Wow. Which is, I, which is, I think that's all the interviews he's ever given combined. Cumulatively. Yeah, yeah I, I I was a little surprised to hear that. I, I, I hope he didn't talk about how he was from South uh, West Philadelphia, born and raised. I don't think people want to hear about, what, about his Philly days. But uh, for those of you who, who don't, are not familiar with the reference, Google it. Not the Fresh Prince wrath of Marvin Harrison and what happened down in uh, Philly. But I was very surprised to hear that as well. I'm sure, you know, the other – I know Kevin, uh, Kevin Green probably gave a pretty emotional speech. The Bartolo – it was a pretty good class. It was an interesting – it was an interesting – we already talked about it. You know, would, would Kevin Green have made it under my Hall of Fame? Mm. Not sure if you would have made it under yours either, but a diverse and interesting class to say the least. Yeah, and next year's Hall of Fame class. I mean, obviously we have the holdovers, such as um, I'm getting them now. So in 2017, Ladanian Tomlinson, Terrell Davis being a holdover, Ladanian being a first timer. I think he's a no-brainer. I think Tomlinson's an absolute no-brainer. Uh, Kurt Warner, again, is a holdover. John Lynch, Terrell Owens, Alan Fanica, Steve Atwater, Brian Dawkins. And then you have the senior committee. You have Jerry Kramer, Chuck Howley, Donnie Schell. So there's no, there's no big names except for Tomlinson coming in. No, that is correct. Tomlinson being the only one. So this may be the catch-up year. And I don't know. I have a hard time with Terrell Davis. And, and you and I have had this discussion numerous times. I don't think he did enough. Um, but you can say the same thing about Kurt Warner, right? I mean, but Warner won two MVPs. And he won a, he won a Super Bowl and then took another team to another Super Bowl. And the thing about Warner to me, and granted, I'm still between whether I believe he's a Hall of Famer or not, is the fact that he took two teams that were desolate before he came and made them into winners. And quite frankly, when he left – they became desolate again for a while so until they got another quarterback. So I like Lynch. I, you know, as much as I hate Terrell Owens, he is a Hall of Famer to me. And Fanica to me is an absolute Hall of Famer that doesn't get the due justice he deserves. 
Yeah, um, kind of on a high level. I'm not going to go into the details of this. Tomlinson, I agree. I agree on Terrell Owens. I agree on Fanica. I would probably say Brian Dawkins, um, you know, four-time first-team All-Pro, All-2000 team, probably the top one of the top two safeties in the league for many years with Ed Reed. I'm kind of going for the seniors. How is Chuck Howley not in the Hall of Fame? That shocks me. How does Donnie Shell? But I can tell you why Donnie Shell is because there were seven there were seven uh, defenders from the Iron Curtain defense that are right. in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's why. Well, it, it's funny the the line from uh, Tony Dungy's Hall of Fame speech is: "If anybody thought I would be the tenth guy on that Pittsburgh team to right. get into the Hall of Fame, nobody would think I would have been that tenth guy. Donnie Shell should be that tenth guy. Okay. Well, now eleven. I mean. To me, if you, when you're looking at, because usually the seniors committee is two, is one player, so you're looking at. To me, it's either Jerry Kramer or Chuck Howley. How is Kramer not in? I don't know. Kramer was voted the best guard ever of the first yeah. 50 years of the NFL, and he is another guy that is completely and utterly jobbed because of the team he was on. Yeah, people say there are enough Packers, and. One of Favre's great things on Saturday night before the speech was he said, well, of course there are more Packers in the Super Bowl in the Hall of Fame than anything else. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> there are more Bears in the, Super, in the Hall of Fame than there are Packers. Well, nobody uses facts anyway so in, in, this, in this generation, so why should that be any different? Absolutely. 760-283-0846. Here we are. We've gone from, from the NFL. I'd just like to, to ask you, so two guys, one guy is continuing after 10 years, and one guy is retiring after tw- almost 20 years, 21 years. What's the first thing that you think of when you say Alex Rodriguez? Um, first thing you think about. First, first Damn shame. As great as he was. And he's, he, the PEDs all the, have in many ways have ruined his career in regards to how he's perceived. Because he probably ends up, it, with, again, we don't know how good he would have been without them. I assume he still would have been a top, top player. But what happened is it kind of led to this. He, it seemed to me with A-Rod, always had this inferiority complex about everything which made him kind of, which is a shame because he was such an incredible talent and quite a pretty articulate, if you listen to him speak, a pretty articulate guy, you know, phenomenal broadcaster for Fox last year. I, I find it, you know, a little sad that kind of when I think about him, what do you really think about? Do you think about the home runs? Do you think about, you know, him going from shortstop to third base to play in New York? No, you think about him knocking the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove or you think about him yelling at Dallas Grade and running across the like all sorts of stupid juvenile stuff. And unfortunately, that's kind of, that's my lasting memory of, of one of the greatest players I've ever, probably one of the three or four greatest players I've ever seen lace up, you know, play, play, play on the diamond. Well, certainly by the statistics, the second, if not the best shortstop ever, definitely the second best behind Honus Wagner and totally different era. So you can't really compare the two of them. Um, my feeling my everlasting images, you're right, him knocking the ball out of Bronson Oro's hand. Uh, I think that was petty. 
I think him screaming when the ball was in the air was, like you said, juvenile. So let's take him out of the picture. And Roger Goodell, 10 years. What's the lasting image of Roger Goodell so far? Now, granted, he met and $111 million later. He's doubled the, inc- the revenue of the NFL over 10 years. And he's still the most hated man in sports. You think he's the most hated man in sports? I really? Think so. Yeah, because at the end of the day, American sports, I mean, at the end of the day, the American sports landscape is ruled by football, period. Um, basketball has its place. I don't even know what would be in third. I guess baseball, but baseball is a poor third. Maybe college football. And considering the PR disaster from that is that is that has taken over the NFL over the last five years, I, I I think you know he's been at the forefront of it. And again, he's the commissioner. It starts and stops with that's why he makes thirty five million dollars a year. Or I guess that's why he makes thirty five million dollars a year to play the you know to play the hard hand as the owner as the owner as the representative of the owners. And he is immensely disliked, it seems like, by just about everyone except for some of the owners. They've never really been able to spin a positive, spin any kind of positivity, in my mind. You know, between Ray Rice, between Adrian Peterson, Tom Brady, you know, the concussions, it it just goes on and on. Okay. Look, I I think he's definitely taken the mantle from, uh, from Mr. Selig. I thought Bud Selig was by far the wor- the most hated man in America, uh, at least in sports. I think A-Rod was more hated at times, certainly, than, than Roger Goodell. Um, I'll tell you one thing. It makes you appreciate the legacy of Paul, Paul Tagliabue. <laughs> and it's interesting because Tagliabue has been on the Hall of Fame roster for, uh, for being elected in the contributors. And people shoot him down all the time because of the labor discord that he left Goodell to fight. But the fact is, for all the time that Paul Tagliabue was in office, did you hear any of this? Now, you could make the case that you didn't hear it because he hid the concussion issue, and that's why Goodell's uh, facing it now. But you didn't hear all this acrimony. Between him and Gene Upshaw, there was – it was harmony in in the NFL. Well, so, well, to be fair, you also again, you this is a different era. You know, it's not the genteel nature of Gene Upshaw. It's the more vociferous Demarcus Smith. Agreed. Uh, it's there was no social media, and yes, yeah, so you know, you didn't have the twenty four. You had ESPN, but you didn't have the twenty four hours of everything kind of in, in play. You didn't have. Twitter and Facebook and, you know, the ability for millions and millions of people to see all this sort to see this all in front of you time after time after time. And, you know, so who knows what, how that would have played out 10 years ago. But I mean, we see this with, and I'm certainly not going to discuss politics, but you see this with the presidential elections now where you can't avoid, there's no way to avoid anything anymore unless you want to live in a cave in Idaho. Just everything gets shoved down your face, and that's what happened with. I mean, do you really think the Brady, the, the Flake Gate, should have lasted two years? 
I mean, do you, do you think that all this stuff, time after time after time, should be if if it wasn't being shoved down your throat, that it would have been as big a deal as it ended up being? I don't. No, true, 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 true. Okay, so we're what four days into the Olympic Games. First, let me get your your impressions of the opening ceremonies. The opening ceremonies happened on Thursday night. I did watch them. Um, it's probably one of the few first opening ceremonies I've watched. I, I, I got all the way to the United States, which thankfully for everybody that was in the United <laughs> well, States, Estados Unidos. it was the Estados Unidos and not United States this year. So it was only like an hour into it. And then I did watch after the, the line of, um, of countries. So I saw what was occurring. I did have an interesting thought. So last week, there was a rumor, well, Pele himself had said that he had been asked to light the cauldron, which would have been very nice, right? I mean, I would have enjoyed seeing that. Certainly the most popular man in sports from Brazil. And all of a sudden, Pele got sick and wasn't involved in the, and said, I'm not going to be involved in the opening ceremonies at all. And I called you, Seth, when this happened, and I left a message for you with my thoughts on them. I think Pele jumped the gun. And this is just a conspiracy theory of my own. And, and look, you can, you can agree with me or disagree. I think he jumped the gun. I don't think he was ever asked. I think he pushed the button to say, I want to be the guy that lights the cauldron. This is the way that I get to be the guy that lights the cauldron. And then when he wasn't, he said, I'm going to be sick so I can save face. I know it's a conspiracy theory. I know I'm full of it. But right now, that's exactly the way I think. I don't think you're off, um, except for on one aspect. Pele is not beloved. Pele is beloved around the world as a soccer player. Pele is not beloved in Brazil. He's had a lot of falling outs with the Brazilian sports authority, the Brazilian middle class. Out of what I understand, there was a vote that was taken uh, a couple months ago about who they thought should have raised the who should raise the flag, and there were five names, and Pele got third. Behind, or got fourth, actually, I think behind Gustavo Corton, who ran the, uh, who ran the flame into, into the arena. The guy who actually lit the, the, fl- the flame, Vandal, who I had never heard of. Although the story, if you, I'm sure, Sean, you heard about it. The story is phenomenal. It is. Um, you know, Vandalay Lima. And the guy who I would have personally had light the flame the greatest basketball player outside of Dirk Nowitzki that's not from the United States, the great Oscar Schmidt. That's who I thought it was going to be. I really did. Um, and for all, for all those who are listening and a little bit younger and don't, aren't really familiar, NBC, they, did a, they did about a 10-minute piece on Oscar Schmidt uh, before the first U.S. basketball game. Try and find it. And it talks about how Kobe and both Kobe and Larry Bird both said he was going to be, would have been an absolute star if he ended up playing in, in, in the NBA, especially on the scoring front, maybe not on, on the defensive end, he ended up, I believe, was with 49,000 points. Now, I don't know what the record is. I can look it up quickly for career points in the NBA, but I don't think the NBA, it's anywhere near that. It's Kareem. Right. 
I think it's 38,000. I'm looking it up right now. 38,000. Oh, I'm good. 38,387 points. Yeah. yeah. Give me some props. Give me some props. Here. You get some depth, man. Yeah. You get some depth. So, I mean, now look, obviously he was not playing against the competition that he would have seen in the NBA. But if you watch him, I believe with the 87 Pan American games against the U.S., again, in led by David Robinson. I think it was David Robinson and Danny Manning who were both first-round picks. And for those of you who don't know Danny Manning, look at his, look at his career before he tore up his, his, his knees. Look at the player he was in college. And Brazil beats the U.S. in, in, in the United States. And Arthur Schmidt goes for 36 in the second half. He, he was a – he was – he is as charismatic as you would expect any Brazilian athlete to be, because that's what they're known for. And really, an am- a really good piece, and just amazing to see what this guy really was all about. Yeah, and to, uh, look, he he held the Olympic flag. I mean, he got an honor, right? Yeah. Um, not the honor that you and I thought of, but certainly the honor that only eight Brazilians had. But really, that was my, I mean, getting back to my original thought, that was my first thought when Pele said, I'm too sick to do this. Uh, total, complete cop-out. And I, I still believe it. Until I find out something other than that, I will believe that for a very long time. I think he just backed out and found a way to do it. I, I know you're looking up something about Pele right now. So I'm wondering what you're seeing. The Olympic bosses are bid to bring back Pele to cross to close the games. Um, but his agents, but his agent warns that once he sits, he quote needing needs help needs helping up with a winch, so he can't get up. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, again, I I don't know. If this is legitimate or not, I have absolutely no idea. Oh, look, Pele's no youngster, right? No. I mean, so what? So what is your impression of, say, the first four days of the? First of all, what did you think of the opening ceremonies themselves? I thought you have to remember Brazil is in a financial kind of cauldron. They spent, I believe, one tenth of the amount of money that China spent on theirs in '08, and what London spent on theirs in '12. I thought it was pretty well done. Um, you know, I'm not a. We were. I admittedly was switching back and forth between that and watching. I, I my wife and I were watching the. Ooh, nice dunk by I guess is that the Rosen. Um, we're watching the newsroom because we're really up up Paul George because we were really up to date on on our on our HBO. So we were watching the third season of the, of the newsroom, but we we were switching back and forth um, between that and watching the Olympics as well. Um, I liked it. Like, it's always really, really long. I really liked that they had the refugee team, where you had people from the South Sudan, you had uh, people from Ethiopia, from North... It, I, I thought that was interesting. And, you know, one of, the, one of the people apparently has a legitimate chance in a medal, which is incredible. And I, I thought it was a simpler ceremony than ones we've seen in the past. But in considering the issues Brazil has had with this Olympics, it's I think simplicity is probably the, was probably the best way for them to go. It definitely wasn't the grandiose gesture that we're lo- that we're used to. Right. Um, the lighting of the cauldron was very simple, 
the walking in was very simple. The one part that I really liked about the the opening ceremonies, and they said this numerous times, is that they didn't partition the the person the persons. They didn't partition the athletes into separate groups. They didn't herd them like cattle. They let them all intermingle after they were announced, after the, the teams were announced. And I really did like that concept. I love the emotion. And, look, that's going to be in any Olympics, the emotion that some of these athletes who have worked tire- – look, look, Seth, I, I'm not sure you cried after you passed the CPA exam. I didn't cry when I passed the bar exam. I didn't. It's, it's an exam. It's something that I could take again. It's something I, I would have to wait six months, but I could take again. When you make the Olympics, when you make the Olympic team, this is the culmination of years and years and years of getting up at 6 a.m. every day or 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. And, and applying your craft. And some of these athletes go broke trying to do this. I mean, this is their dream. I'm not sure that being a CPA was your, quote, dream. I know it's your livelihood, and I know being a lawyer is my livelihood, but I would never say that when I was four years old, I dreamed of being an attorney. That was never my take. So I find it awesome that these athletes are realizing their dream. By the way, we just switched over, Seth and I, to ping pong. I am obsessed with watching ping pong it's awesome. because we have a ping pong um, ping pong table in our office now. And I actually tried doing some of this stuff today, by the way, I can't. So <laughs> I just, I, like the cert. Oh my God. This is like a seven. No way. He returns that. He returned. Oh my it. God. Oh, this is awesome. Anyway, they're returning <laughs> slams after slams. Oh! <laughs> this guy must have returned about 12, shot, 12 slams in a row. It was pretty awesome. But anyway, I tried doing one of the serves, and I was like, okay, this went right into the net. That guy just tried to return a slam, and it went into, like, the next arena. So, But it, it is fascinating watching these sports, like ping pong, where these guys are sweating. Oh, yeah. And they, and they're like, what? They're drying off with a towel because they're they're. It's actually like exercise. Have you never sweated playing ping pong before? I think I have, but I've never taken a time out to to douse my brow. Like I've never gotten that involved in a ping pong match. I mean, this is unbelievable. If you if you haven't watched ping pong in the Olympics, it's fun. Seriously, the whole weekend. Look. Uh, and I'd also like to bring this to everybody's attention. NBC Sports, the app, the NBC Sports online app. Do you remember when NBC went to the triple play? I think this was in 88, where you had to pay for three channels to watch different sports. It was a pay-per-view thing. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah. And now, this is modern technology. That's fine, right? If you have Apple TV or you have NBCSports.com, and you go online, you can get any camera. It's like watching the back end of a – you won't get the announcers, but you can watch any ping pong match that's going on. And seriously, I, 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 look, my boss is not going to like this, but I'm bringing my iPad into work. I mean, it is amazing to be able to watch any sport at any time. Are you looking up the triple play right now? Yep. 
1992. So Barcelona. So the dream team. And I, that probably was where it came from, right? So you could watch right. any any um, game of the dream team at any time. And that's also right after 88 in Seoul, 84, where track and field really became big. And so I think that that's where this whole thing – look, they're, they're, they're using a towel to dry their brow from a ping-pong match. This is unbelievable. Anyway, I love this stuff. And I become more and more fascinated with ping pong, which is table tennis, which they made, which I've made the mistake numerous times. The only place that is called ping pong is in the United States. This is table yeah, tennis. The, the, the thing that I enjoy so much about the Olympics, and although we did have the basketball game on for part of this, is, is watching the sports that you never get to watch in real life. You don't watch, you don't watch women's rugby, which was pretty cool. I think I found nine of Sean's dream women there. Only nine? I think they have 11 on, it, on the side. How are there only nine? Because there were two or three of them that couldn't beat you up. Okay, but, fair enough. Um, I, and I, I find myself enjoying it immensely. Um, you know, men's basketball doesn't do very much. It's an honor. To, like, it's a great – there's a couple – watching Pau Gasol get blocked at the buzzer was kind of neat to see Serbia win. And, you know, because I'm home with Jake and I'm working from home the next – I've watched a lot more than I typically have in prior, in prior years. But, you know, the gymnastics, you know, we have the track and field coming up, the swimming with Phelps, who was phenomenal last night, and Katie Ledecky, who was phenomenal last night. These are things I don't watch. And as you all, as anyone who's watched, who's listened to our show more than probably twice, knows I am not a big pre-patriot, pro-USA in most aspects of sports. Um, I am from an Olympic perspective. And the reason I don't care about it from basketball is because it's not the culmination of anything for, for the NBA, to be in the NBA for basketball. You're, if you're a great player, the culm, it's the culmination of something if you're a swimmer or you're a star or you're a rower or a canoeer or whatever it is. For basketball, it's an, adi- it's an addition, just like I don't love it for tennis as much as I love tennis and I don't love it for golf. It's not the, it's not, it's not the biggest thing that happens in your sport. But to watch these guys come from nowhere, people have never heard of, you know, to see, a, if you watch, I remember I watched the gymnastics, Simone Giles last night. Oh, Simone Biles last night. Oh, my goodness. Did you see the 41-year-old yeah. Uzbekistan woman yeah. that's in, competed in, in, seventh in Olympics. seven Olympics? I was watching that, and I was like, that's not a 14-year-old. No, like, it's specifically She's four, she's forty one years old and she's competing on the Olympic stage for the seventh time. For the seventh time. And she's not ruling out an eighth. Yeah, for four different countries. Three. I thought it was four. Uzbekistan, I think it was Denmark and Russia. So I think it were only three. Okay. It doesn't matter. It, it, look, seven Olympics. I mean, look, to to put that in perspective, it's it's not the most. The most is actually uh, Ian Miller, who from Canada, he was an equestrian guy. I think it was an equestrian. He did it eight times. Are, are you researching this I stuff did research while, it. while you're working and earning your big salaries? No, I was, I was actually researching it because I wanted to know after I saw a 41-year-old woman. So she was an, he's an equestrian. He holds the record for the most Olympic appearances at 10, so 40 years. So he's 69 years old, and the last, he, took play, he took part in his 10th Olympics in 2012. That's wow. unbelievable. Okay. I, know, I know the oldest person in the Olympics is 54 this year. 
He's a ping pong player. Awesome. And he made the third round. I don't know if he's gone any further. Okay. So five minutes left. I just want to get your take on this. So breaking news, Manchester United signed Paul Pogba yep. from, from Juventus for $116 million. That's his transfer fee. That's not even his salary. How on God's green – look, to put that in perspective, A-Rod has earned the most money of all time in, in team sports. Two, he's earned over $400 million. Number two is Kevin Garnett at 336. This guy, Paul Pogba, who I've never heard of, and is he a goaltender? He's, he's a, mid, a midfielder, a guy that doesn't even score goals. $116 million to trade him. That's not even including his salary. What chic is signing this guy? Well, you know what the funny part is? He's not even that good? No, he's very good. Oh, okay. But the funny part is, he originally started with Manchester United. Yeah. Awesome. In the development? Yeah. He played a, couple, he played a little bit for Man U before going to Juventus. You know how much Juventus signed him for? A million. 800000 Awesome. Good trade-off. So now he just reverted back for $160 million? I believe that's what we call a positive cash flow. Juventus is in the black, my friends. Big time in well, the black. Also, is he that really that good, though? I don't think so. Um, again, I don't watch a Serie A Italian football, so I'm not an expert in it. Um, he's extraordinarily talented, but... He's, so am I, and no, I don't you know. Have, you have no talent. Oh, come I mean, on. You, have, you have no talent. It's a radio show. Yeah, that is the extent of your talent. Um, but he is not a top three to five player in the world, and it does make you think if we if Leo Messi ever does leave Barcelona, um, you're looking at two hundred million dollars. You're looking at something of overwhelming significance. Now, the idea, and again, the idea, the numbers are mind-boggling. It's the biggest transfer in all time. Four years ago, Gareth Bale went from Tottenham to Real Madrid for $85 million. Okay, quickly. Props to Jim Furyk for shooting a 58. Which is about half of what I do on nine holes. Or what I hit on miniature golf. Um, A couple of quick shout-outs. The German, there was two amazing things in the, in the gymnastics last night. The German who tore his ACL, and then he did a vault to get him actually, to get Germany into the finals, which was pretty amazing. Um, and then the British woman who I think got a concussion falling, doing, doing on the floor exercise, fell on her head, and then she ended up coming back, and she was asked the last individual to qualify for, for, the, uh, for the individual, for the uh, women's all around. No concussion protocol. Apparently not. It's not the NFL. Um, the U.S. Not, had nine and a half point lead over anyone else in the women's gymnastics football game by about 110 points. Uh, amazing story with the with the Olymp- with the the uh, the swimmer from Syria who won her first who won the first her first heat and then got eliminated. We're pretty much out of here. We're out of time. So we'll catch you next week for our recap of the Olympics. And that's it for Seth Kamens. This is Sean Palmer, Seth and Sean Sports. We'll say goodbye to you now, along with Jake. And Layla. Rough? Okay. Good night. <laughs>